Steve Morrell tells a story about a 10-year-old boy who is a judo fighter. Unfortunately, the young man gets in a car accident and he loses one of his arms. Uh, but the, the little boy is determined that he's still going to fight and he's still going to compete. And so his trainer comes up with this idea that he would continue to train him, but he's only going to teach him one move. The trainer decided, hey, you're just going to master one move, son. That's all we're going to work on. And even though the boy begged and begged, please teach me more than one move, he said, no, we're just going to work on one move. So day after day, week after week, month after month, the same boring move until the young man had mastered it. And so he finally one day enters a competition and into everyone's surprise, he makes it to the final round. But the person that he has to fight is superior in every way, knows many moves and has both of his arms. You know, it would make you a better fighter to have both of your arms. But in a moment of weakness, the superior competitor has a loss of focus. And when he loses focus, the one man does his one move that he's mastered and he wins the championship. He was a champion because he learned to master one move. Today, I just want to talk about one move. I want to give you one thing. And this one thing has been the one move in my life that has impacted my life for Christ and for what I've done more than anything. It's this one move. And uh, when I think of someone who has mastered the one move or mastered the one move in their life, I think of a great man named George Mueller. George Mueller had one move, but with this one move, George Mueller changed his world. Uh, in his lifetime, first of all, George Mueller lived in the 1800s in Bristol, England. And in his lifetime, Mueller housed, clothed, fed, and educated more than 10,000 orphans, which is an amazing feat all on its own. But what's most impressive to me about George Mueller is that he actually had this conviction in his heart that if God had called him to this work, then God would provide. And not one time, not once did George Mueller ever ask anybody for money. He only asked God. He prayed and God provided time and time again. He raised over $113 million dollars and it was all him just praying and asking the Lord. One story that's always amazed me, and it's probably what he's most, uh, the most notable story of him, is one day there was 300 orphans at his table for breakfast. And they didn't have any money and they didn't have any food. But they set the table anyways at the orphanage. And George Mueller prayed. He prayed a simple prayer. God, I thank you for how you're going to provide for us and what we're going to eat. And almost immediately, there was a knock on the door of the orphanage. And when he opened the door, there was a baker who was standing there. And the baker said, I don't know what it is, but the Lord woke me up at 2 a.m. this morning. I couldn't sleep. I knew I had to bake bread for you today. And so he said, children, we have fresh bread today. And after the baker had gone, another knock came on the door and George Mueller opens the door, and it's a milkman. The milkman's cart broke down right in front of the orphanage, and they didn't have enough time to fix the cart and get the milk uh, to where it needed to go before it spoiled. And so they had milk and bread that day because George Mueller trusted God. But what was, the, what was George Mueller's one move? What was his secret? 
What was the thing that he, he did time and time again? It's one move and it's really simple. And I think it could change your life because it's changed my life. This is what George Mueller says in his journal. He says, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business which I ought to attend to every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned with was not how much might I serve the Lord? How might I glorify the Lord? But how I might get my soul into a happy state and my inner man, how it may be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation. George Mueller changed the world with one move. And this was it. George Mueller learned to delight himself in the word of God. Before he fed orphans every day, he got up and he opened his Bible until God spoke to him from the word. I am here today to do one thing. I want to inspire someone to learn this one move. I believe it will change your life. If you will learn to delight in God's word, this book has been the number one thing that has nourished my soul over the years. When I was 16 years old, I began to read through the Bible one time a year. It was when I got really serious with God, and I've done that every year. I'm 35 now. Every year I read through the Bible in a year, and that daily discipline of being in the Word of God has changed my life more than any one thing. Psalm chapter 1 tells us what it looks like when a person does this one move. If you will delight yourself in God's word, you can live the Psalm chapter 1 life. Let's read it. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, before I teach you the one move, I want to say something about this passage because I think it's really important. I want you to see that the psalmist has a worldview where there's only two paths in life. There's only two ways. There's the way of the wicked and there's the way of the righteous. Everyone in this room today, you're either on one of those two paths. There's no in-between. There's no blurred lines. This is the worldview of the psalmist. You're either on the righteous path or you're on the wicked path. And I want to tell you, Jesus had the same worldview. In Matthew 25, he talks about the very end of all things. And Jesus, who stands judge over all people, you and I will stand before him one day. And Jesus is going to put us into two categories, not three, two, either wicked or righteous, either a sheep or a goat. You are either on the path of righteousness or the path of wickedness today. Listen, Jesus is, listen, his words, he talks about the two paths in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate 
And broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And you might be thinking, man, Jesus, that sounds too constricting. That sounds narrow-minded, Jesus. The narrow way sounds boring or rigid or stiff, (laughs) but it's not. I live in Chattanooga, obviously. We all, I mean, our church is in Chattanooga. And in Chattanooga, up on Missionary Ridge, there is a house called the Shaven House. And it is built by an architect named Frank Lloyd Wright, who happens to be a very famous architect. And it's actually the only uh, building in Tennessee designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And something that Frank Lloyd Wright was uh, very famous for is he has this principle that he calls compression and release, okay? In his structures, before entering a big, open, spacious area, one must first pass through a narrow, constricting one. So it'll be like a small kind of hallway that opens up into a big room in his structures. And so his, his architecture has this temporary sense of feeling constricted, but then it releases into a great feeling of freedom, And if you're on the outside looking in in the gospel, if you're on the outside, you can look at the gospel and think, man, that seems very narrow. That seems very constricting. That seems like there's, I don't know, how can there just be one way? But you see, even though it looks that way, once you get in the narrow path, once you get in the narrow way, it opens up and releases into a vast amount of freedom. From the outside looking in, it looks small, but once you get in the gospel, you realize it's expansive and Jesus is amazing. But you see the broad way, the easy way, it looks the wicked path. It looks incredibly spacious, incredibly tolerant, incredibly open, but it actually leads to a way so narrow and constricting that it can suffocate you. I wanted to say this because it's important. The script being handed to us from culture is that we're told humans find meaning through unlimited freedom and self-expression and pleasurable experiences. We're told things like go find yourself, forge your own path, be your authentic self. I'm telling you, that is a broad path that will lead you into a narrow place. Jesus never said anything like that. Jesus said things like deny yourself, die to yourself, Take up your cross and follow me. Give up your life and you will find life. The gospel seems narrow, but it opens up into a broad, spacious freedom. There's only two paths today, people. The wicked path or the righteous path. Which one are you on? The righteous path are for those who delight in God's word. I want to talk about that righteous path for the rest of our day today. Psalm 2, 1, 2 says this, those who, the right, those who are on the righteous path are those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on it day and night. I want you to see there's one move to the righteous path and it's this one move, delighting ourselves in God's word. Dr. Leroy Martin does such a good job bringing this to our attention. Uh, this, I want you to notice the scripture does not say those who obey God's word are on the righteous path. And it doesn't say those who keep God's word are on the righteous path. Those who 
are disciplined by the law of the Lord are on the righteous, righteous path. No, it says those who delight in the Lord. And although obedience is implied, it's in the background. It's not in the foreground. What's in the foreground? What is explicit is this, those who delight. The blessed path, the righteous path. It's not about trying harder. It's not about doing better, doing gooder. It's really about the affections of your heart. Remember George Mueller, he made his soul happy in the word of the Lord every morning. Do you want to know how you have a vibrant, passionate relationship with God? It starts with you delighting in God's word. What has captured your heart today? Conrad Schaefer says this, an individual is formed by what one loves and reflects on continually. What delights us invades us. What delights us invades us. The psalmist has decided to take his delight in the word of God. It says he meditates on it day and night. He's, it's on his lips continually. He's reading it. He's reciting it. He's singing it. And when the word of God takes root, it leads him on the path of blessing. So I want to give you three things really quick about what I see in this text about delighting in God's word. What happens when you delight in God's word? Number one, what happens when you delight in God's word is that it keeps you from the path of destruction. Psalm 119, 11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God will keep you from the path of destruction. Let me give you an example of this. When I was 16, I got saved. I mean, really saved, okay? I'm a church kid. My dad's a pastor. I've been to every youth camp, every conference. I got saved at the every, every single one of them, but it never really stuck till I was about 16. And I remember when I got saved for real, I made a commitment. I even told my youth pastor, I said, I want you to hold me accountable. I said, I'm, I am for real, okay? And, you know, whenever you start to really serve the Lord, that will be tested, okay? Almost as soon as I told my youth pastor, hey, I'm, I'm serving God for real, I'm doing it for real, I was tested. It didn't take long for a test, okay? So one Wednesday night after church, the whole youth group, we went out to eat somewhere, and uh, instead of riding in the church van, I decided I was going to drive my truck. Okay, I thought, I thought I was something else in my truck. I had a 94 red Toyota Tacoma on 32s. It was lifted a little bit, had some Flowmasters coming out the back, stick shift. Anybody still know how to drive one of those? Uh, and I thought I was something else. And so we went out to eat and we we're headed back home. And there was a young lady that I had had my eye on. She was a pretty young lady. On the way back from this event, she said, hey, Chad, I want to ride with you instead of riding the church van. I was like, sure, hop in, hop in. So we're riding back to the church and everything's good. And all of a sudden, I promise you, she turns and looks at me in the truck and she says, hey, why don't you and I get lost somewhere? <laughs> so whoa, you know, this is a good old church girl for you right there. And uh, mom, if you're watching this, I'm sorry. I apologize. But uh, so, uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I may have accidentally gotten off the wrong exit that day uh, for the church. We may have gotten a little lost. And, uh, and, and I, and I want to be clear here. 
it was just nothing, nothing bad happened, just a little smooching, all right, just a little kissing, that was it, uh, just a little smooching, and, but something happened to me after, after that night, I remember going home, and I felt bad about it, like used to, I would never, I used to, I would have never felt bad about that, I would have felt pretty good about it, but I felt something inside of me that said something's not right, like this is not, like, like, like God didn't want me to do that or God was upset with me for doing that. And I got in this like conversation with God for a few days and I was like, God, we didn't do anything wrong. We were just, it was just, we we're just kissing, just a little smooching God. We didn't do anything wrong. And, and, and I was arguing back and forth with God. And finally I said, okay, God, you, you show me, show me in the Bible where what I did was wrong. And, and, and I knew there was nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not kiss, right? So I knew I was good, but something like right here, not in my mind, but here, I heard something here that said Proverbs chapter five. Okay, now I had, in my lifetime, I had not read through the Bible yet all the way. I didn't know it was in Proverbs chapter five, but I was like, fine, 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 Proverbs five. I'll turn there. I was in my parents' bedroom. I opened my Bible and this is what it says. It says, my son, I thought, okay, well, that, I am a son. Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. Verse three, this is where it gets real. It says, for the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison. As dangerous as a double-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about, here it is, the path of life. She's on the wrong path, man. And she staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. Okay, I'm standing in my parents' bedroom, and immediately I literally dropped my Bible on the floor because I was so freaked out. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's alive. The word of God is alive. Like it's, God is speaking to me through his word. And, and I, after that day, I never talked to that girl again. I, I, and you know what? Her life went down a path. But I want you to notice that she was heading down a path and that path wasn't going to be a path of life for me. It was going to be a path of destruction. And God's word brought me back from that path and put me on the right way. I'm telling you, God's word will keep you from the path of destruction. Number two, when you delight in God's word, it will lead you to an encounter with the living word. When you read God's word, it will lead you to an encounter with the living word. One of my favorite stories is in Luke chapter 24. It's when Jesus has been resurrected and but not all of the disciples knew it yet. And it talks about two disciples who are walking on a road uh, called Emmaus. And while they're walking on this road, the Bible says that Jesus actually comes walking alongside them, but they didn't realize or recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus asks them, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, well, we were serving this guy, Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah. And, you know, the Romans killed him. And now we're just, we're bummed, you know. And, and for the whole walk, Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus yet, but for the whole walk, it says that Jesus, for seven miles, okay, that would have taken two or three hours. Jesus, what he does with them for 
two hours is this, Luke 24, 27. It says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay, and then later in that same chapter, Jesus appears to some other disciples and it says that Jesus opens their mind to understand the scriptures about himself. So finally, they sit down for a meal with Jesus and then he breaks bread and it says that their eyes were open and they realized that it was Jesus and then the revelation came. Oh my goodness, we've been, we've been talking to Jesus the whole time. We've been standing here talking to Jesus and they said, did our hearts not burn within us? when he opened the scriptures to us. Here's what I want to show you. When Jesus chooses to reveal himself to the disciples, where does he start? He starts with the scriptures. It's like of all the ways Jesus could have revealed himself, he goes back to Genesis and he walks them through the text and he shows them all the scriptures concerning himself. And then at the end, they have a revelation and they have an encounter with the living word standing right in front of them. I, for me, when I encounter God's presence the most, it's after I have been in God's word, I will study God's word, and then I'll have an encounter with the living word after it. The written word leads us to an encounter with the living word. I can remember when I was, again, when I was about 16, 17 years old, and I had gone through a period of time that was tough for me because some, it was like a real revival that happened in our youth group. And uh, some people that we were walking with the Lord together, they left. They quit walking with God. And it was very, it hurt me on the inside. I was like, come on, man, we're serving the Lord together. And now you're going to walk away. And, and it really bothered me. And I was struggling with it because they wanted, then they, after they walked away, they wanted to come back. And I was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know that I want you back. <laughs> So anyways, as I'm struggling with this, one day I feel led to study the passage of the prodigal son, right? It's about someone that goes away and they come back. And so I, one day after school, I went to church, found a room, and I got out my Bible, got out my pen, my highlighters. And man, I, I probably spent at least an hour just reading very methodically over the story of the prodigal son, very slowly, very methodically. And it was good. I was writing down stuff. I got out of the text. You know, maybe I'm like the older brother in the story and I need to, you know, welcome home the prodigal, all that stuff. And it was all great. Everything was good. I felt good about it. I closed my Bible. I close up my journal and I'm walking out the door. And I'll never forget as I'm walking out the door of that room, God spoke to me. And when I say God spoke to me, I mean, God spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice. It was in here but it was like thunder on the inside of my soul. God spoke to me. Listen, I believe God can speak to you. I believe God wants to speak to you. I believe God desires to tell you things, okay? But the reason I believe God spoke to me in that moment was because I had settled my heart and my soul and I was in the written word. I was just in the, the given word that he gave me. And then after reading what was there, the Holy Spirit led me to encounter the living word. The written word led me to the living word. And what the living word told me in that moment, it was really easy. It was two words. I didn't come up with it in my mind. The Holy Spirit said it. He simply said, celebrate them. Celebrate them. Those two words might not mean anything to you today or mean a lot to you. But in that moment, it meant the world to me. Celebrate these people. Here's the last one. The word of God will sustain your relationship with God. 
Did you read, when we read in Psalm 1, it says that those who delight in the law of the law of God, that they will be like trees planted beside the waters, that every, they'll never dry out. Every season they're going to produce fruit. If you're going to make it, if you're going to make it, if you're going to make the long haul of serving the Lord, you're going to have to have something that sustains you. And let me tell you what can't sustain you. Big, high moments. There's going to be moments where you experience God and it's out of this world. There's going to be moments in altars. There's going to be moments in conferences. There's going to be moments at youth camps, at convocation where, man, it's like, man, God's so real to me right now. And we have these big moments. But the big moments are not what's going to sustain you. The big moments are like, a flame that's lit, but you got to put wood on the fire to keep the fire going. How are you going to make the long haul? You've got to be sustained by the word of God. How do I know that moments aren't enough? Because it wasn't enough for Solomon. King Solomon. Okay. Have you ever thought about this? What happened, King Solomon? Seriously, what, what happened to you, man? King Solomon saw the Lord twice. Like God appeared. How many of us would just, God, if you could just show me yourself and God appears to you. Okay, God appears to Solomon twice. But at the end of his life, he walks away from God. He worships other gods. After seeing God twice, he experienced the literal presence of God. And he walks away. How is that possible? I think. I'm, you know, the theologians might disagree with me, but I'm preaching this message, not them. So this is my sermon. But I, I think it's as simple as Solomon quit reading his Bible. Where do I get that from? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, there's laws for a king. It talks about when a king sits on the throne, here's what they are to do. And one of the things they were to do was to copy or write for themselves a book of the law. And it says, and it shall be with him and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear his fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left so that he may continue in his kingdom and he and his children in Israel. The king was supposed to keep a copy of this with him and he was supposed to read it daily. I think Solomon simply quit reading his Bible. Listen, all the experiences in the world are great. I believe in them. I believe in altar calls. I believe in uh, moments that change your life. But you can't live from the big moments. You can't live. I mean, you only get to go to conferences once or twice a year. What are you going to do? You know, convocation or whatever you have. It only happens once a year. What are you going to do with the rest of your year. You've got to put wood on the fire. The word of God is wood from the fire. One move, one move. It's what's changed me. It's what's sustained me. Delighting myself in God's word has made all the difference for me. A recent study was pulled from 40,000 Americans aging from eight to 80 by the Center for Bible Engagement. And this is what they found. When people interacted with the scriptures one day a week, there was a negligible effect on their lives. 
When they interacted with it two times a week, the same thing, nothing. When they interacted with it three times a week, still very little. But when a person interacted with the scriptures four times a week or more, look what happened in their life. Feeling lonely dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Spiritual stagnation drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing their faith jumps 200%. Discipling others jumps 230 percent. Here's what I'm telling you. A simple delighting yourself in God's word, not even every day, just four days. If you can do that four days a week, I believe it will change your life and then it will change the world like George Mueller. One move. That's all I got. One move. Delight yourself in the Lord. Father, I thank you for your people today. I thank you for your word. It's a light into our path, a lamp into our feet. I pray today, God, that we would be people that don't just live for big moments in church services. I'm thankful for them and we need them. They get the spark lit, but they don't keep the fire going. We need the log of the word of God to keep the fire going. Keeps us from the path of destruction. It leads us to your presence. And Lord God, it sustains us over the years. We worship you this morning and it's in your name we pray, amen. Hey. Go read your Bible. Go spend some time this week. Uh, Hey, we'll catch you live 9 o'clock or 11 right here. Come on to church. You know you need to be in the house. And we'll see you soon. God bless.